there concerned? Yeah, I don't know how excited you can get about abortion, but uh, hey, would you grab your Bible and uh, I want you to open it to Luke 23. We're going to start right there. Luke 23. If you, uh, you know, you got that Bible app on your phone, I'm cool with that. Pull that out. That's your Bible. Don't be texting. I realized some, the other week I was like, I wanted a certain someone to take their phone away. They were, they had their Bible app open. So Luke 23, verse uh, 32. Whoever starts is going to be on the screen. So week two in ethics. Um, here we go. You there? Luke 23, Matthew, Mark, Luke. 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a, a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. Um, hey, let's pray again real quick. Father, as Zach just prayed, Lord, we pray that you would that you would show up here tonight, God, that your spirit would be um, would be felt. God, we are um, together corporately. We're, we're um, the church. We're the body of Christ. We're believers gathered here together. Father, we understand that some of us maybe aren't yet believers. My Father, we, we need you. God, in high school especially, I know that we look for satisfaction in so many different areas in life. We want to be satisfied. We long for things that God, some things in this world fulfill temporarily. But God, we know that you fulfill um, eternally. God, we thank you for your word and what it has to teach us. God, we thank you that there are absolutes taught in your word. God, that we, um, we come to know in your word the standards you have for us, the right and wrong standards. Father, I pray tonight that we would get insight on this, this topic. God, we also understand that Christianity, by all means, is not a list of rules. It's not just a list of do and don'ts. It's not about religion at all. And so, God, I pray that that thought would stay far from every student's mind. Jesus, that we would understand that this is fundamentally about a relationship with you. But, God, we know that you also do have ways that you made life to work. Things that are according to your will and things that are against your will. Thing, uh, things called um, just sin and evil. And so, God, we acknowledge that, too. So, God, would you open our hearts and our minds? Would you help us to be respectful as we just listen and think? And I pray that we would do both of those things. We, we love you. We pray that your mercy would fill this room tonight. Because we need it, God. We're guilty. We all have stuff in our lives. We're guilty. We pray that we would feel your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start here because um, you'll notice in verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. At first glance, though, to me, that doesn't really seem to make sense, right? It almost just, like, if they don't know what they're doing, why is Jesus asking the Father to forgive them? Because go with me here. 
you understand, right, that because he's asking for forgiveness, they're guilty. Uh, a truly innocent person doesn't need forgiveness. And so he's saying that they're guilty, but they don't know what they're doing. And so, I mean, does it strike you as odd to me? It seems like either they know what they're doing and they need to be forgiven, or else they don't know what they're doing and they don't need to be forgiven because they're ignorant. Right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? It's either, either, it's, it's either or. But Jesus says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're here murdering me. And as he's hanging on the cross, he says this to the people around him. I think this is the answer. And maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. They're guilty because they should know what they're doing. They should know. Maybe they don't know, but they should know that they're killing the Son of God. And so when he says, Father, forgive them, like I said, it obviously means that they're guilty. And when he says they don't know what they're doing, I think he means they should know what they're doing. I guess they're ignorant. And yet, there is so much, Jesus must have thought there's so much evidence pointing to the truth of who he was, and that they were just blinded to that, that they were, they were willfully ignorant of who he was, they were hard and resistant, and they were guilty, and that they, that's why they needed to be forgiven. And it's a phenomenal sentence, in that one sentence, he both gives this accusation of guilt, but he also says, Father, forgive them. The whole reason he's on the cross is to pay the penalty that that sin deserved. Um, so we need to start here, because here's the thing, you guys. So the Jews and the Gentiles and the, and the Roman soldiers, they're all there. But, like, we, I mean, we put Jesus on that cross too, right? I mean, sin, our sin is what put him on the cross. The sin of the entire world, not just the people there in that day. Sin is what put Jesus on that cross. And so our sin means that we're guilty and that we need forgiveness. And so Jesus just amazing. I mean, he's on the cross. Can you imagine the agony? He's trying to breathe. And he prays that the Father would forgive them, that he would open their eyes. He's actually praying that the Father would open our eyes. To maybe the stuff that we do that we are totally ignorant of. You guys, there are so many sins in my life that I just ignore. And Jesus is saying, I want so badly for them to repent, to turn to me, and to look to me for satisfaction. And so, here in this room tonight, I just want to start here. If you're rejecting Jesus as the Son of God, as the one person that can make all your rebellion right... And maybe that's offensive to you. Maybe like, ah, that's why I hate church, because you're just talking about this sin garbage. We're just being honest. Be honest about, I mean, the junk in our lives, and you have it, and I have it, but if you're rejecting Jesus as the Son of God tonight, I pray that just the, the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God would fill this room, that you would know that He prays that prayer for you, and He prayed it for me. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He bought it on the cross. You can't work for it. 
you can't come to Oasis a whole lot and at the end of your life say, well, I hope I went to church a bunch. I pray sometimes. No, it's, it's Him, and it's, it's not about what we do. I pray that you would receive Him tonight. Because we're all guilty. And I, I think that's the place we need to start. Um, but we also can receive His forgiveness. And so, we've mentioned numerous times we're talking about tonight. Um, I think the issue is we can apply this whole thing to abortion. If we claim to be ignorant, that we're killing human beings through abortion, and that just we're, we're innocent, Jesus prays, God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we should know what we're doing. And so, to many of us, I know that this topic feels like it just doesn't apply to us. I mean, for almost all of us in here, probably, you're like, well, I've never had an abortion. First of all, I'm a dude. I've never had an abortion. I don't know anybody that's had an abortion. None of my friends have had abortions. My parents haven't had an abortion. Friends of my parents haven't had abortions. And yet, in a group this size, there's probably somebody in here who maybe has had an abortion. Whose parents have had an abortion. Who definitely knows somebody who's had an abortion. But whatever the case, I want you to hear me say loud and clear... There's mercy in this room tonight. There is forgiveness and there is healing wherever you're at on this issue. And so whether you've aborted a child and you're here tonight, and you maybe haven't told people and you're inwardly like burning with that on the inside of you, or maybe, who knows, you've encouraged a girlfriend or some girl that you slept with to have, to have an abortion, or you try to force them to do that, or you just agree that abortion is fine, you're probably quickly picking up on my stance, we're going to look at the Bible and what it has to say about it, that you just think abortion is fine. Or for the most of us in here, and I fall into this category, who have lived most of our lives indifferent and apathetic about this issue because, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. And so, here's where we're going. I want to share with you ten reasons why we know what we're doing when we wrongfully kill the unborn, whose right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness is, is a gift from God. And I'm going to get to, what if you're raped? What about that, Brad? Now, here's the thing. I want to give credit for these ten things I'm going to get to, um, to Pastor John Piper, who's an incredible pastor and who has... Tons of incredible resources. Go to desiringgod.org and you can find all kinds of stuff. And so um, these were his first, and I want you to know that. As well as an author named Scott Klusendorf, who wrote a book called The Case for Life. Okay. Now before I get to these ten things, real quick, I'm just going to rush through these. Here's something Scripture has to say about this. So he's going to pop up on the screen. Here's what Scripture has to say. Um, Genesis 9, 5 and 6. This is kind of the first little commentary about murder right after Noah um, and his family gets off the ark. It says, And from each man too, I will demand accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Exodus twenty thirteen. you all know this, sixth commandment. You shall not murder. 
And you're like, ugh. Maybe you, maybe you think abortion's not murder. It says you shall not murder. Exodus 21, 22 and 23. This is, this is a little scenario here. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she, she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whenever the woman's husband de- demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. And it goes on to say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You've maybe heard that phrase before. Essentially, the writer is saying there is life in that pregnant woman, and if you, there's serious injury, life for life. Exodus 23, 7. So do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Psalm 51, 5. This is David. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David here is attributing personhood to the fetus in the womb. I mean, he says from the time of conception. Why do I say that? Because David is attributing uh, moral responsibility by saying that in the womb he was sinful. And then Psalm 139, 13 through 16, you know this probably, some of you. For you created, this is a phenomenal chapter, you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's a phenomenal three verses. All right, so we're going to jump into this. Ten reasons we, why we know what we're doing. And we're guilty. Wherever we stand on this, We're guilty, and Jesus offers us forgiveness. Number one, we know what we are doing because at least 38 states, including Nebraska, treat the killing of an unborn child as a form of homicide. That is, we have what are called fetal homicide laws. That number's growing. In 2002, there was only 27 states. For example, in 1987, a teenage girl who was six and a half months pregnant made a suicide pact with her boyfriend. She shot herself in the head with a 34, and at the last minute, he changed his mind. And he covered her over with brush, and he walked away. And later he was apprehended and charged with assisting a suicide and inadvertently murdering the fetus during the commission of a felony. And get this, the fetal homicide law carried a stiffer penalty than assisting in a suicide. But here's the irony, though. Here's the statement that was made. The law, listen to this, you guys. The law makes it murder to kill an embryo or fetus intentionally, except in the case of an elective abortion. Now, when I say elective abortion, what I'm clarifying here is there's maybe the rare circumstance where um, there's complications in a pregnancy or say a pregnant woman's in a car accident. The doctor says, one of these two has to die. The baby's going to die or the mom's going to die. That's happened before. I, I hope none of you are ever in that situation. And maybe the husband has to say which one he wants to live. In that case, I'm just saying, I, don't, I, don't, I put that in a different category. That if the husband says, I want the mother of my three other children to live. But I think that's different than um, that kind of abortion is, in my mind, in a different category. So I'm calling this an elective abortion. But so this law makes it murder to kill an embryo or fetus intentionally, except for in the case of abortion. So think about this for a minute. We have some laws that condemn the killing of a fetus as murder, and we have some laws 
that allow the killing of a fetus as an abortion. And just a side note real quick, in the U.S., you guys, it's legal for a woman to have an abortion at any point in her pregnancies for virtually any reason. It's legal right now in the U.S. So what's the difference between these two laws? Check this out. It's simply this. It's illegal to take the life of the unborn if the mother chooses that it not be taken. And it is legal for the mother to take the life of the unborn if the mother chooses that it be taken. In the first case, the law treats the fetus as a human with rights. In the second case, the law treats the fetus as a non-human with no rights. But do you see what this means? Because so according to the law, even in Nebraska, the humanness of the unborn is determined case by case, not by the intrinsic qualities that determine personhood, but on the basis of somebody else's choice. So if the one who has the power says that it's unright for the unborn to be killed, it's right. But if the one with the power says that it's wrong for the unborn to be killed, it is wrong. Do you see the inconsistency there? You can call that anarchy. I don't know what you call that. But what you're calling that is whoever's the strong can determine, they can do whatever they want to do, whatever they feel is right for them. That's kind of what we have. And so, I just, when human justice is disconnected from a person's basic humanness, made to simply depend on the choice of the strong, nobody is safe. Nobody is safe from being defined out of personhood. You guys, this happened at the Holocaust with the Jews and with others. This happened with slavery at the beginning of our, our nation's um, forming. And it's happened all the time with the unborn. I mean, the numbers, I think it's like there's an abortion every once every 20 seconds or something. It's crazy. I read that for women under 40, one in three will have an abortion at some point in their life for women under 40. That's, that's staggering. So the question we're going to look at is what constitutes a human life? What constitutes personhood? So again, so this is number one. The existence of fetal homicide laws show that we know what we are doing when we abort the unborn or have abortions or even are ignorant and indifferent to this topic. The rest will be shorter, okay? Number two. We know what we're doing because of the inconsistency of doing fetal surgery on a baby in the womb to save him while his cousin down the hall um, at the exact same stage of development is aborted, is being killed. What I, what I mean is, you guys, um, the unborn in their, in their mothers all over the place are treated as patients alongside their mothers. They, you can have surgery on, you can operate on that fetus inside the mother. Um, they can be medically treated this one doctor, Dr. Um, Stephen Calvin, Steve Calvin just called this schizophrenia. He goes, there's an inescapable schizophrenia in, abort in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week-old fetus while at the same hospital performing interuterine surgery on another baby. Um, that blows my mind. I don't think I knew that happened. Number three, these next four, um, I want to teach you an acronym Hopefully you can remember these next four by. These next four are from Scott Klusendorf. Um, four things that make it irrelevant to determine personhood. First of all, size is irrelevant in determining personhood. So because the, the argument can be made, well, it's a baby. The baby, like that fetus might just be like two inches big. Well, size is irrelevant, I'm arguing, 
a determined personhood. The size of my daughter Chloe is maybe, she's maybe three foot tall, four foot tall. It guarantees, that guarantees her no more rights to life than my nine month old son, who's maybe like two feet tall. And it, it guarantees her no more right to life than a living fetus that's two inches tall, if you will, in the womb. Size just simply does not determine and should not determine personhood. Number four, um, level of development is irrelevant in determining personhood. So developed reasoning powers are not a criteria for personhood. We all know this. A one-week-old infant in his mother's arms has zero reasoning powers, right? I mean, just, it's not rational. You go five months down the road, that five-month-old baby still does not have developed reasoning powers. And it would be infanticide. It would obviously be murder if you put that five-month-old baby to death. So developed reasoning powers just aren't relevant. They're morally irrelevant to determining personhood. Number five, environment. This one's huge. Environment or location is irrelevant to determining personhood. Um, in all other areas of life, we don't allow environment or location to determine a person's right to life. So this author, Scott Klusendorf, says, um, how does a simple journey of seven inches down the birth canal suddenly transform the essential nature of the fetus from person to non-person. You're like, well, it's dependent on its mother still. Well, that's the next one. But being inside does not mean that um, the, that fetus is not a person. Here's a big one, the next one. Yeah, but Brad, that fetus is absolutely and utterly dependent on his mother. He can't function outside the womb. Well. Dependency on another, I'm arguing, is the final. It's irrelevant for determining personhood. Why do I say that? We consider people, you guys, on respirators and dialysis as human beings whose lives are precious. You get in a freak, nasty car accident, you're barely hanging on, so you're hooked up to this respirator, this machine, to live. No one can pull, I mean, they just can't pull that plug. It's got to be a decision. You're going to kill the person. They're dependent on another, they're dependent on a machine. In other words, the unborn can't be disqualified from human life just because they're dependent on their mother for food and oxygen and the getting rid of toxins from their bodies. And in fact, most of the time we operate on the exact opposite principle that the more dependent somebody is on another person, the more care they need, the more we um, protect them. And we know that. So here's the thing, those last four, I want you to try to remember this acronym, SLED, S-L-E-D. Size, level of development, their reasoning powers, environment, and uh, dependency on another. All four of those things are just morally irrelevant for determining personhood. Now, someone can argue against that. Those are just four arguments. But all four of those things, so try to remember that acronym. Size, level of development, environment, and dependency on another. So when somebody maybe like makes the argument, I don't know, maybe that would be helpful in debate class someday or something. Number seven, we know what we are doing because we know that the genetic makeup of a human is different from all other creatures from the moment of conception. That the human code, the DNA of a human is complete and unique from the start and different from all other creatures. We're different than animals from other animals. Number eight, we know what we're doing because we know that at eight weeks along, 
all the organs are present. The brain is functioning, the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidney is cleaning the fluids, there's a fingerprint. Because both of my children, I don't know how far along, it was pretty early on, I remember seeing a little image on that screen of my little peanut daughter and son, a little flicker of a heartbeat. You can see it. You can see it, which is my next point. You can see the heart beating. And you know what? Most of the literature, you guys, that encourages women to tell them when they should get abortions, it says it's best to get an abortion between 6 and 12 weeks of pregnancy. And that's when all the organs are there, they're present, they're active. Most ladies, and most ladies don't even know that they're pregnant, I don't think, until they're 6 or 7 weeks along. And so most abortions happen between, I believe it's 8 and 12 weeks. 8 and 12 weeks. There's some that happen after that, but it's a lot less after that. Number nine, we know what we are doing because of the marvel of ultrasound and photographs. Ultrasounds um, give, give us a stunning window and picture into what's going on in that womb. We see a, a baby at eight weeks sucking his thumb and recoiling from a like pricking, um, responding to sound. Um, there are all kinds, you can go to the internet and just type in pictures of a fetus. And you'll see fingers and toes and the head and the face and the nose. and It will blow your mind. Um, now, I mean, and I mean, no disrespect, a lot of, uh, of pro-choice people will say, um, yeah, but pictures don't count. Pictures, pictures don't count for anything. Um, and I'd say, no, like in any court of law across the nation, pictures hold up as evidence in court. And pictures matter. Pictures they're not going to end this whole debate, but they matter. And seeing, I mean, I think, I think one of the main things that maybe cause someone who wants to get an abortion from not is they go into some center or counseling place, or whatever, and they see their baby on that screen. So pictures make a huge difference. And finally, this one's huge. You guys, I remember one thing from my ethics course in college. One thing, and it's basically this. We know what we're doing because we know the ethical principle that when two legitimate rights conflict, the right that protects the higher value should prevail. So for example, we deny the right for someone to drive 100 miles an hour down a neighborhood street, or any street for that matter, but down a neighborhood street because the value of life is greater than the value of getting somewhere on time, or having fun. I mean, is that why you drive 100 miles an hour? You're seeking thrills, or you got to get somewhere on time. And you know what? Everyone was in here, so we all have a will, right? So, I have a right, you have a right to drive 100 miles an hour. You do. But there's another right that conflicts with that, and that right is that if you hit somebody, you will kill them. And so our society has developed laws and said, oh, these two rights are conflicting. You know what? The higher value always prevails, and we don't want people to die. You know what? That higher value is always life, the right to life. You might have a lot of fun. You might um, get there on time if you're going 100 miles an hour. But so our society said, no, nope, speed limits. Okay, here's, here's the, like, the biggest one. A woman, this is, you guys, a woman has a right to not be pregnant. She has a right to not be pregnant. And any guy that rapes somebody 
Man, you just like need to be locked up forever. I mean, that is an atrocity. If you've ever been raped or known, I can't imagine, you guys. We cannot, don't ever hear someone belittle that. That would be excruciating to be raped. And a small percentage, there's actually very few rape cases that result in pregnancy. Some do. And a woman has a right to not be pregnant, to not be forced to be pregnant. But you know what? A baby has a right, has a right to not be killed. If that baby could talk and say, don't kill me. <laughs> you know? That baby has a right. You have life in you. And so when those two rights conflict, which right should prevail? And I know you say that nine months, oh, every time I would look at my belly, I'd be reminded of that rape. But there is adoption, or there's counseling, or whatever the case. That would, be, that would be so, so difficult. And that's the number one, everyone always shows up the rape case. But there's a higher value here. And you guys, that's one of the main things when it comes to ethics. I want you to remember that. So, so often, you're going to face it in your own life. This is kind of, you're going to face two conflicting rights. Know what the higher value is. You've got to know it. We know what we are doing. I love, like, it was what Ryan said last week. When that person that said, I think abortion is fine because rape's really awful. And that one kid on the other side said, well, then I wouldn't be here. My dad's a rapist. I wouldn't be here. Like, wow. I'm just like, that is powerful. And it's true. And again, rape's got to be horrible. And I don't want to belittle that. So, as we close, remember, just remember again, where we started. You guys, when Jesus, when he went to the cross for you, he both declares your guilt and he announces your forgiveness if you would just receive it. So don't walk out this room just thinking like, uh, whatever, that was nice. No. So often, whether it's abortion or some other thing, racial injustice, there's all kinds of ethical issues we're not tackling. Crime and homelessness and fatherlessness and things like rape. Jesus died to show us the greatness of our sin and to forgive the greatness of our sin. Titus 2.14, I love this verse, I came across this this week. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You guys, we don't deserve what he's given us. But he took our place on the cross and he took our death penalty and we can have life forever. And then, you guys, as Christians, we've got to stand up for things like this. So I'm out of time, but four things real quick. Get educated on this topic. This is a, just going, skimming the surface tonight. Get educated on this topic. Help educate others. And if you know someone who's had an abortion, you guys, love them. Befriend them. Run to them. You know what I hate? By no means. I would hate to ever hear gossip about someone who's had an abortion. And ladies, you especially know, when somebody at your school has had an abortion, everybody knows about it. Don't pass that on. That's brutal. That woman has to be, befriend that person if you can. Don't you dare judge that person for having an abortion. 
Secondly, check out Omaha's Center for Pregnancy Counseling. And your address is right there. Next one, this is a great site. You guys got go tonight, tomorrow, go to abort73.com. This is a really great website to educate you. I want to ask you to watch one of the videos. They didn't work for me, but they take you to another link. Um, you will see pictures. And some of you don't want to see pictures, so that's why I didn't show them in here tonight. But you, you should watch them. It will wreck you. I almost started crying. I, I, I'm 28 years old, I almost started crying. It's brutal. Buy a t-shirt. Abort 73 has like sweet t-shirts to support their cause. I'm serious, it's a simple way for high school students. Buy a t-shirt, educate yourself. Lastly, pray. And don't minimize prayer, but pray about this issue, you guys. Pray about it. Pray about our nation and our nation's stance and our nation's leadership on this issue. Um, I hope life groups are really good tonight. I hope you discuss this. Let me pray. Father God, oh God, we need you. We need your grace. God, I feel like this talk doesn't even do justice to this issue. It's not seriousness enough. It's not serious enough. We don't consider rape seriously enough. We don't consider all this, all these other ethical issues. But Father, you end it. You, you bring an end to it. God, you can redeem. You can restore. You can renew. And Father, I pray if there's brokenness tonight, I pray that the person in here tonight that has, that has had an abortion would run to you, Jesus, knowing that you, you, paid, you paid, you took it all on the cross for them. And God, others of us in here, we all have our issues. We all have our sin. And I pray that we too would run to you often, every day, God, for forgiveness. We need you, Jesus. We love you. We pray for our time in community tonight and uh, in groups. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, sorry to keep you long. Nate lost his wedding ring.